If you are looking for even more help and guidance on your breakup, I have a few different options for you to take your healing to the next level. I have four different online courses depending on what stage of the breakup that you're in from beginning all the way into moving on after heartbreak, or you can bundle all of my courses together and use the code podcast to get $25 off my course bundle. I also have my 30 day no contact challenge to help hold you accountable in going no contact with your ex. And we have our free Facebook group, Healing Hearts Club, where you can connect with other people going through breakups all over the world. To learn more about any of these resources, head to the show notes where you can learn more about my courses, take the quiz to figure out which course is best for you, or join the Facebook group. And don't forget to use the code PODCAST to get $25 off my course bundle. Welcome to the Heal Your Heartbreak podcast with your host, Breakup Bestie, aka me, Kendra. Breakups are hard, but you don't have to do it alone. Each week, I will be taking you through a different topic as it relates to breaking up, healing from heartbreak, growing in your single life, dating, and getting back into happier and healthier relationships. The goal of this show is to provide support, hope, tips, and to remind you that above all, this too shall pass. Welcome back to the Heal Your Heartbreak podcast. I am beyond honored to be joined by Terry Cole today. She is one of the first women I followed on Instagram in the relationship space. Terry is a talent agent turned psychotherapist. She is the author of Boundary Boss, which we talk about extensively today. She's also the host of her own podcast, The Terry Cole Show. Today, we are talking all about boundaries, boundaries as it relates to breakups. We talk about how it relates to dating. We talk a lot about why we are afraid to set boundaries. I think we also break a lot of misconceptions when it comes to to boundaries, and it's not about being a bitch or it's not about just getting what you want. It's really about being truly authentic to yourself and being in a position where you can fully trust yourself and have others trust you as well. So I love her take on boundaries and she gives so many helpful tools. I hope everyone goes out and gets her book, Boundary Boss. We also talk about a boundary quiz. She'll mention it at some point in the episode. That is also going to be linked in the show notes. So I hope you guys all enjoy Terry as much as I did. It is such a pleasure to welcome Terry Cole onto the podcast. You have been on the list for such a long time of people I would like to have on the show. So I'm just honored that you're here. I'm happy to be here, Kendra. The first thing that I wanted to ask you is, obviously, you talk so much about relationships in general, but we're talking about boundaries today. And I I would love to hear what led you down the road to specifically focus on the topic of boundaries. Well, what do they say? You teach what you most need to learn. Exactly. Yeah. (laughs) So I was super boundary disaster in my youth, highly approval seeking, people pleaser, high codependence. So I didn't know that's what it was. Right. But through my own therapeutic process in my late teens, early 20s, I started understanding that a lot of the resentment I was carrying and how I felt and I felt very like taken advantage of by people in my life or felt very like underappreciated. It's probably the overall feeling of like people have all these expectations of me. And of course, in therapy, I realized no, that's really not what's like the common denominator in all of those people is me. And the way that I was relating 
And so as my boundaries got better through my life, I, I was a talent agent before I became a psychotherapist. And even that 10 years from like 19 to 29, I'd say, so much growth, so much healing of my own. And then in my early 30s, I left entertainment and became a psychotherapist, partly because I just couldn't believe how much therapy had changed my internal and external experience. And I was like, does everyone know like that this is what happens? <laughs> like that literally when people say the answers are within you, you know, before a lot of therapy, I was like, oh yeah, blah, blah. Like, are they really? Just tell me what to do, you know? The more I sort of evolved, and I don't mean evolved like in this going to the top of a mountain way. I mean, my own self-awakening, being able to become the observer without judgment of my actions, my reactions, how I was relating, relationship patterns, all of these things where if I could identify something that I didn't like, I could change it rather than constantly pointing out to be like, well, if my boss wasn't such a jerk or my boyfriend wasn't such an idiot or blaming all the other people. And the empowerment was, in, well, I mean, it changed the trajectory of my life. And then when I became a therapist, I was like, wow, it wasn't just me. Literally nobody knows <laughs> what boundaries are. And it was an absolute epidemic in my therapy practice where I had a lot of female clients similar to me, very ambitious, super capable and really effing tired. Yeah, I think I mean the the part that you were talking about with being very resentful. I never thought of myself as a resentful person. I'm always like I I don't hold grudges. I I thought that I was this very forgiving, carefree person, but I talk about this on like every episode, but I went through the 12 step mm -hmm. program. I've been sober for 10 years and and mm -hmm. part of it is you have to do the fourth step inventory. We have to write down everyone that you feel resentful at. And once I dove in, I, I realized I feel very resentful at a lot of people. But then part of it is you have to write down your part in the mm -hmm. resentment. You know, I was the source, whether it was I wasn't speaking up. I never said I was mad at someone. And I realized I had all these friendships that I just drifted away from. And it wasn't, and it was because I was too afraid to have a conversation around this works for me, this doesn't work for me. So I would just kind of disappear and write it off as, you know, we're just not meant to be friends. But it turned out it because I just didn't know how to how to set those boundaries. So I would love if you could talk about what are some misconceptions people have around that that word topic. You know, Kendra, I want to speak to what you were saying about the resentment, yeah. because what I would categorize my own resentment was that it was righteous resentment. Yes. Righteous. Right? Like I, yes. Like I was justified in the way that I was feeling because they were the wrong ones or they quote unquote took advantage of me. And so it's funny how same, like it would, it would have been ego dystonic, right? Like not aligned with how I see myself to accept the truth of the fact that I was resentful. I was like, no, it's different because it's justified resentment. And you're yes. like, no, it's actually exactly the same. Every person who's resentful thinks their resentment is justified. Yes. So let's talk about sort of the myths and let, let's just establish or I'll, I'll establish what my definition of what boundaries are. So this is basically your own personal rules of engagement. It lets other people know what's okay with you and what's not okay with you. According to me, your boundaries are comprised of your preferences, your desires, your limits, and your deal breakers. 
like the non-negotiables. So they're not all made equal, right? Because a preference is not as important. That's a nice to have. A deal breaker is a must have or we're done, right? So I think that people love to look at boundaries in this black and white way where it's like just this and that that's not actually true, but it's not enough for you to know your preferences, desires, limits, and deal breakers. It also means you need to be able to effectively, transparently communicate them when you so choose. And I would say both of those things I saw as massive problems in my therapy practice and in the courses that I teach and all of that, because I would ask my clients, you know, even things that are simple, like what brings you joy or, you know, what do you do for fun or whatever? And people would be like, I don't really know. Like if I'd be like, what are your preferences? What is okay with you right now in your life? And what is not okay with you? And they'd be like, I don't know. Because we're so dialed in, especially if we're suffering from codependency, which we can also get into, we're so dialed into other people and what they want and what they need. So I feel like you have to first know what boundaries are yeah, and then have the ability to communicate them. And most people don't have know what they are or know how to communicate them. Yeah. And it, I think particularly realized in my marriage, I think specifically is how much people appreciate knowing your rules of engagement. It's like, I don't know why the first thing that came to mind when you were talking was like a board game, but it'd be like playing a board game and there'd be like no rules. And you just kind of have to like, everyone has to make assumptions on how the game works and then try to play in a way that everyone has a good time, which would be pretty impossible. But I know for me, it took me a really long time that I was pretty much resentful at like almost every holiday because my expectations of the holiday did not match what my husband ultimately ended up doing. And so what we finally had to work out is like very, we need very specific. This is what I expect down to like, I expect a card. It was just Mother's Day. I expect a card. I expect flowers. Like this is what needs to happen. And I think a lot of time we probably make assumptions that people should just know what we like and know how we are, but we're all just operating from what we think we are and we don't know what other people need or want or like. And I think that you're, you're so right with the assumption stuff, because what ends up happening is that then we make it mean something. Oh, my husband didn't buy me a card. He doesn't really love me the way that I love him, or he doesn't love me the way that I want to be loved. This is where the um, love languages can come in and be really helpful, where you need to understand what is your partner's love language? Because I find if we're looking at sort of traditional gender roles, what I saw in my therapy practice is that, you know, women, we really want to be seen. We really want to talk. We want we want to feel like someone's listening. You know, foreplay starts like in the morning when yeah. the person is like just doing the things to make life easier, where you're working like in collaboration. And I would always say this when I worked with couples, where a lot of times the women would be like, I want to feel more seen. And the men would be like, I want to have more sex. And I'm not kidding. Like, I'm not like making that up as like, oh, isn't this a funny gender thing? This is the truth of what my yeah. experience was as a therapist. And I would always say to the men, you need to see like sharing the emotional labor of running this whole entire friggin' ship of this life and this family as like a shared responsibility and act that way. That is foreplay. 
helping, seeing, remembering. And that is going to make, because there is a difference. You know, I, I can say there is a difference in, I feel like a lot of times heterosexual men, you could be in the middle of a brawl and suddenly be like, want to have sex? They'd be like, yeah. okay, we can get yeah. back to this later. Like, cool. Let's put a pin in that fight and let's just go to it. Where I don't find that my female clients do not necessarily feel that way. And that the last thing, if you feel unseen, the last thing you want to do is have sex. You don't, it doesn't. So there are boundaries there too. And the needs getting met and not getting met. And I think that what could be an easy place and a way to start for people who are like, I don't know about my boundaries. I don't know. Is that start by taking a resentment inventory. Hmm. So we just sort of identify like, we know everybody listening right now was the first resentment that came into your mind. Yeah. That probably needs your attention. And when we look at resentment, what causes resentment? It is a need going unmet. So it could be a boundary being crossed or a boundary needs to be established or a boundary that's been established is being violated. Like those are usually the things. Something is happening. All we know for sure is that a need is not being met within you. So we can use this resentment inventory as little GPS to be like, where do I begin? What relationships do I probably have disordered boundaries in or where do I need to speak up more? And that's a good place to start. That's such great advice. Whenever my trigger for when I know that I need to set a boundary is I get like, I get the same feeling physically as when I'm upset. Like I get like this heat in my stomach and like, I start feeling like this, I don't know, this like warm intensity kind of a thing, probably similar mm -hmm. to when I feel angry. And that's when I realize like, okay, I'm not saying something that I probably should be saying. And I'm just kind of taking this in because I don't want to cause conflict or whatever that looks like. And I, I'd love to hear, I know codependency is one of them, but what are some of people's big fears and, and like obstacles when it comes to setting boundaries? I would say, I mean, listen, the biggest is fear, right? What are we afraid of? We're afraid of being rejected. We're afraid of being humiliated. We're really afraid if we look at the way that we're wired biologically, physiologically, we're afraid of getting kicked out of the tribe. Right. Yeah. Because if you think back to cave people days, if that were to happen, you would likely die. Right. You needed to be in a tribe. So we're hardwired for connection and we're afraid. So that's one of the biggest things. And then if we go down the list of like, what are the myths about boundaries? What does it mean to have good boundaries? It means I have to be mean, means I'm being selfish, means I'm being bitchy. I don't want them to think I'm a drama queen. I don't want to make waves. I don't like confrontation. I don't want to be seen as unloving or unnice. This is a huge one. When Kendra, if we were to go back and go, okay, if we go back to the beginning, because a lot of my clients, these incredibly capable human beings, like running the world, basically, and they were they would be really hard on themselves. Like, how do I not know? Why is this hard for me? This shouldn't be hard for me. And I'm like, why do you feel bad about not being fluent in a language that nobody taught you? Because think about the way that we're raised in the book and the way that I teach it in my courses, we talk about your downloaded boundary blueprint. So this is a paradigm in your unconscious mind of how you learned from the family that you grew up in, country, culture, societal influences. There's a whole bunch of things that come together that create what you think is appropriate way to relate to boundaries. 
And most of us were raised and praised for being self-abandoning codependents, right? Like, turn that frown around, sister. Yeah. Where's my happy girl? You don't, have anything, you don't have anything nice to say? Don't say anything at all. We all know the, what these messages were, but rarely do we stop and think, how did that messaging, how did that being a good girl, how did that in the home that I grew up in, being nice, being helpful, being nice, like being perceived as being nice was more important than anything else. It was like, you know, the, the holy grail of like people saying you're a nice girl. That was very important. And so nobody was like, here's how you assert yourself. Like, be honest, be authentic, be an original thinker. Like I became those things <laughs> yeah. through much work of my own, but it wasn't anything where we learned. So wherever you are, listener, in your journey with boundaries, you're exactly where you're supposed to be. You're at the perfect place to learn now. So the greatest thing is that it's not terminal and that it's it's not a thing that you're like, I guess I'm, I guess I'm just bad at boundaries. No, yeah. it's like anything else. You can learn to be good at yeah. asserting yourself and telling the truth and respecting the boundaries of others. This is another thing, you know, Kendra, that we don't talk about a lot but really becomes a problem, especially if you're a people pleaser and if you're a type A and if you're a high functioning codependent and if you're someone who's doing all the things for all the people, someone else having good boundaries, you're like, you got some nerve, Betty. Like, yeah. fall in line, bitch. Like, what are yeah. you doing? <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, this was all fast forward to like, or rewind to like probably seven years ago when boundaries mm -hmm. were like, a very scary thing in my world. But if someone were to, for me to set a boundary would have to be like very well thought out, very intentional, probably mm -hmm. like very personal to the person because it had to be someone that I didn't really care liked me or not. So mm -hmm. for a friend to set a boundary with me automatically was like, you hate me, you want nothing to do with me. But for them was, was not that at all. And yeah. what you were saying about it's not terminal. I think a background for me is I did not grow up in a family of boundaries at all. I was always taught that people have the best of intentions and that you cannot assume, you just have to assume everyone's doing the best that they can and you got to cut people slack, especially people in your family. So boundaries were like not a thing at all. I come from a family of five kids and, mm. you know, anyone could walk over parents if we so chose to. But my mom, she just turned 75. She just started exploring this idea of boundaries probably four years ago. So in her seventies, and it's been this really, really cool process to watch. It actually stemmed from, I started going to Al-Anon about five years ago. I was at this place where I realized that if I didn't work on boundaries, I would ultimately end up hating, hating my husband. I think that was like mm -hmm. the big thing. I'd just gotten married. I was having all these really scary feelings. And so I went to Al-Anon and started learning about this idea of boundaries. And then my mom would start talking to me and I would set boundaries with her. And I think mm -hmm. that was like, wow, this is interesting. And, and it's just so cool to watch her in her seventies, like exploring how to set boundaries with our family members, with, with her friends. And, and it's interesting to see the dynamic between my mom and dad when now she's setting boundaries and he's still not a big boundary person. So it is mm -hmm. something that, you know, I think can always be worked on and changed. What's so beautiful though, about that story is that somehow 
your mother found, and part of it is you finding. So we inspire, and a lot of times we manage up or teach up to a degree. But there's so much satisfaction on the other side of learning this skill set that your relationships, exactly what you said about you're like, I really needed to get it together because I love my husband and didn't want to end up hating him. Yeah. This is what happens when we don't set boundaries is that we really feel bad in our relationships because we are self-abandoning and it makes us feel victimized by the other person. But if the other person had the information that you could share with them, because when you think about it, we say we we do this, we, don't, we want to be nice, we should give everyone the benefit of the doubt, as you were saying, or whatever. Is it actually nice to say yes when you really want to say no? No. No, of course not. Yeah. It's not. It's dishonest. And what we're doing is we're giving the people in our life corrupted data about who we are, what we like, what we want, what we want more of, what we want less of, Under the all under this umbrella of, I didn't want to hurt their feelings. And you're like, when you're someone who's a people pleaser in that way, the truth is that you are not emotionally trustworthy. I know my people pleasing friends. I love them, but I don't trust them the way I trust my baller friends who are honest and who will just tell me. I remember inviting one of my friends, Elizabeth Yalto. I was going to something in, I don't know, wherever it was, it was Guatemala or something. And I just was like, hey, I'm going to this yoga thing. You want to come? And she was like, oh no, I hate Guatemala. I hate hot weather. Like, no thanks. Bye. Have fun though. Have a great time. Like never once was she like, gee, I hope Terry's feelings aren't hurt because I don't like hot weather. Like what, did I create the sun? Like yeah. it doesn't make sense. Yeah. But think about how much of the time, anytime, if you want to understand sort of codependent relating and disordered emotional boundaries, every time you think to yourself, I don't want them to think, or I don't want them to feel, just you need to get your hiney back on your own side of the street. Because yeah. what they think and how they feel is not your side of the street, your side of the street to keep your side clean is you have to be honest about how you feel. And we can do this in loving ways. And I'm not talking, you know, some people will use, I'm just being honest as like a big stick to beat you in the face with, you know, those people. Yeah. Okay. I'm not talking about that kind of honesty because that's just domination and bullshit. Like that's not honesty. When I'm talking about honesty, I'm talking about the things that only we know, the things that we have the right to be honest about, which is, that's what's on our side of the street, how we feel, what we want, what feels good to us, what feels bad to us, what kind of food we like, what kind of food we don't like, what we feel like doing. You know, it's funny, people will, I mean, at this point in my life, nobody would invite me to go see a concert outside because they know I don't like that. But generally speaking, I don't feel bad. If I don't want to, I don't like loud music. I'm a highly sensitive person. Someone's like, I'm going to go see live music in a club. I'd be like, never. Do I want to do that? I mean, unless it's like Barbara Streisand, maybe, but anybody else where I don't even know, like <laughs> Ariana Grande. But generally speaking, my preferences, I know are about me. Unless my friend said, hey, I'm meeting someone there and I really need a wing gal. Okay. Like if you're asking me to do you a favor, that's different than asking me, do you want to go see James Taylor or Tanglewood, right? I yeah. don't. I'm positive. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. 
What would you do if you had unlimited time and energy? As you're navigating your breakup, I know your energy can feel low and it can feel really difficult to complete everything you need to in a day. When you're emotionally exhausted, it's especially important to be really clear on what your priorities are and where your energy should be invested. Therapy has helped me in the past figuring out where I should be putting my energy, whether that's career, friendships, relationships, events, which in turn has helped lower my anxiety because I don't always have to feel stretched thin or behind. Therapy can help you find what matters to you so you can do more of it. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash heartbreak today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com slash heartbreak. Are you looking for a guilt-free way to unwind? Between balancing your breakup, work, and just functioning in your day-to-day life, I know you are under a lot of stress. Breakups mess with your nervous system, cause obsessive thoughts, and make it so hard to just sit with yourself. This is why it's so important to have rituals that allow you to treat yourself in a healthy way. And this is why I love Recess Mood, a sparkling water infused with functional ingredients like stress-balancing adaptogens and mood-lifting magnesium. Life has been very full and stressful for me lately, and as someone who hasn't had alcohol in 11 years, I need something that helps me relax and that can bring me a moment of peace. Lately, my favorite way to do that is sitting on the couch after I put my kids to bed and having either the strawberry rose or the lime recess mood. They not only make me feel good, but they also taste incredible too. So whether you're looking for a healthier alternative to alcohol or a way to make you feel more balanced, you deserve a healthier way to unwind. Head to takearecess.com slash heartbreak and get 15% off recess mood, your go-to alcohol replacement. I think that's the things on your side of the street, realizing you're not responsible for other people's emotions. I remember I was getting ready to break up with a partner and I Mm -hmm. called a mentor of mine and I said... I'm really nervous that I'm going to like ruin this person's life. Basically, I'm really nervous Mm -hmm. for how they're going to deal with it. And she said, that is you thinking you have far more power than you actually do. (laughs) Like you do not have the power to ruin someone's life. That is, you know, you have the responsibility if you don't want to be with someone to let them know that and to let them go. But after that, that's their side of the street, essentially. And I, I think that's yeah. really important. And I and I do want to make sure we talk, you know, specifically on this topic of breakups, as that's what, you know, the audience is, is going sure. through. In what role do you think boundaries can be powerful for someone who is navigating a breakup? I think they're crucial to having a clean breakup. So first things first, you can have an agreement with the person that you're going to block each other on social unfollow, don't see. And I I go to the degree of blocking. You could do it for six months, right? Maybe in six months, it's fine. Or maybe you never need to see what they're posting again. And that's okay too. But we're doing it not as a reaction and not as a way to harm the person. We're doing it mutually because it's so hard to move on when you have the temptation of like cyber stalking them. It's not, unless your friends could, you know, it's not like you can't find out, but why not set yourself up to succeed? So let's talk about a clean breakup. A lot of times when you're not good with boundaries, when it's difficult to have the conversation, we'll find a way to get out of it. If your soul needs to get out of that relationship, you're going to find a way. You're going to have an affair with someone you work with. You're going to do something that makes them ditch you because you can't 
do the ditching and, or you can't tell the truth. It feels so I've done it wrong plenty of times and who hasn't when in, in young life, like it's, I don't think it's easy being the person who gets broken up with or being the person who does the breaking. I think they both can suck really hardcore and be super painful. There's something about being the one who's broken up with where you get to sort of be mad in a way that when you're the breaker upper, it's just guilt, shame, just all the things that are hard. And so you have to create space, like a sacred space in your life. So my feeling is do the best you can to have it be clean. I would say to my therapy clients, listen, if you did know the answer, what would it be? Like I find with women in particular, my experience is that they'd be like, I'm so torn. I'm confused. There's nothing wrong with him. He's a really good person. I'm like, dude, he can be a great person and not be your person. Yeah. And you breaking up with him is not you saying he should be killed. Yeah. Right. It's it's not. It's it's literally you being like, I need to make space in my life for someone I'm actually in love with. And you can fall out of love. And it happens. Listen, dude, we can't marry everybody, right? We don't marry everybody because there's they're not all the right ones. They're all teachers. So part of it is don't make yourself feel bad. You don't need a good enough reason, quote unquote. If you are not in love with that person, if you don't want to be with them, if you are no longer attracted to them, if you try talking it out and it doesn't work, you have every right to end any relationship. These are all, listen, all volunteers, no victims, right? And even with getting divorced, I feel like so many people have so much shame around that. And I'm like, it happens. And in the end of life, you're the one who has to live with the choices that you made. Mm -hmm. So give yourself the chance. It's okay to to want to be happy. You know, anyway, so breakups, let's do it clean to the best of our ability. There's literally going to be no easy way to do it. So when people are like, you have to do it in person and you have to do this and that, I'm like, listen, you have to do it however you can do it to the best of your ability. If you're going to have a nervous breakdown doing it in person, don't not do it. Yeah. Right. People are like, etiquette, you shouldn't do it by time. I'm like, listen, however, my feeling is let's not get all judgy about protocol. Let's, do it the best way that we possibly can. Yes. Would it be great if you could do it in person? Sure. Is it more respectful? I believe it probably is. Is it the end of the world if you send a dear John Jane letter? No. But it's the end of the world if you stay in a relationship for 25 years that you wish you were out of 25 years earlier. Yeah. that You don't want that. And the separating. So no social media. Like actually going no contact. I agree. That's my two cents on having healthy boundaries so that you can move on. And I think we should talk about dating and boundaries too. So whatever you want to follow up on the breakup. Yes. Yeah. I definitely want to get to dating. I think what you said is so important about, I mean, two things. One, you don't set boundaries because you hate someone. I think in particular with breakups, you're typically setting a boundary because you still love someone and you also mm-hmm. love yourself and you need to give yourself that space. So it's it's not a punishment. And people ask, I completely agree with you with going no contact. And people always ask, isn't that immature? I think there's this like very interesting thing, especially with like celebrity divorces where it's we're staying great friends. Like we have a beautiful relationship outside of the the separation. And, and so I think we think the mature thing to do is to stay friends and have this like the conscious uncoupling or whatever Gwyneth Paltrow talks about. But in reality, like the most important thing is to take care of yourself. And when people will ask me like, why haven't I heard 
from my ex after they broke up with me, I say like, I think the most respectful thing you can do for someone after ending a relationship is leave them alone. Like that's mm-hmm. the most respectful thing that you can do for them and for yourself. So I I just loved that point. But I think we should also talk about the fact that it's so different. If you say, hey, why don't we agree to block each other on social so that we have space to heal rather than the just floating away? Because that is the part. It's the lack of communication, I think, that can make it harder. But anyway, I I totally agree with what you're saying. Yes. I think that's a really important point. And also the point about people falling out of love. You know, you were talking about like, it's okay if you do fall out of love. And I think if you're on the other side of a breakup, it's also important. Like you were the one that was broken up with. I think we automatically assume that we did something wrong or there's something innately wrong with us. We're not enough. Mm -hmm. All of those things. When... I don't know about you, but of all the people I've talked to going through breakups and people who have ended relationships, I think most breakups come down to like a lack of just compatibility between two people. And it doesn't mean there's anything wrong with one person or the other. It just means that you're, I don't know, I don't know what else to call it, like your vibe and their vibe just don't match together. And your vibe encompasses so many things. But I think we just automatically assume that there must be something wrong with us. When in reality, that's not really what it comes down to. There will be someone who finds you exactly as you are and and falls completely head over heels for you. And if you've ever been in a relationship, Kendra, or anybody listening, where you felt like you had to make yourself smaller or Mm -hmm. be different or be a chameleon or morph into something that I was such a chameleon. Oh my God, in my youth, forget it. My the boyfriend was into rap, me too. Country, here we go. Let me get my camo boots. Like, you know, I I could just shape shift. Yeah. into what I believed that person wanted me to be because the messaging was I was too much, like the way that I was. I was too loud. I cursed too much. I was too something. And really, I got to a point in my grown-up life where I was like, you know what? And I never really wanted to get married. Like it wasn't a big, important thing for me in life. My parents got divorced. My mother had an affair with her bo- the boss at the IGA, like, you know, which fine. Like I, I kind of don't blame her, but I'm just saying like, it, it didn't look great. I wasn't like, gee, I aspire to this. Like I don't, I was like mediocre. I mean, my life is amazing. Why do I want to partner up? Every time a boyfriend I would be with wanted to like, we should get engaged. I'd be like, yeah, we should break up. Like I really didn't see myself going there until I had a lot of therapy And I had this whole realization that I created a really amazing life and that the only reason I would ever partner with someone permanently is if they could bring something really amazing to this already awesome party that is my life that I can't do, make, or build happily by myself. And then I met my husband after I was willing to be like, hey, I could be single forever. I was already already in my 30s. And then I met my husband. Yeah. And he was 10 years older than me, had three kids, widowed, divorced, lived in Elizabeth, New Jersey. And I was like, wow, you're perfect for me. I don't know how already Insta family. Fantastic. But there was something about knowing that and having those boundaries in place of that. I wasn't going to make myself, I wasn't going to dim my light to make some insecure person more comfortable. I was simply going to be myself. I remember on the first date with my husband, I was like, this is exactly what I'm looking for. Like just all the things. And I thought, because I don't want to waste another second of my life if this guy isn't interested in that. And he was like, that was great. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, and I think there's this freedom. I mean, I think obviously one of the big things of setting boundaries and we can kind of transition into dating now, but if you are 
I don't like using the word desperate, but I, I mean, if you're desperate to find a partner, so you just went mm-hmm. through a breakup and you're like, I've never been by myself. I have to find a partner. You're not going to feel safe setting boundaries because you've made it the main priority to find to find mm-hmm. someone. But if you, you know, go through what you went through or what I went through, where you are at a point where you're like, I know I can be really happy on my own. Mm-hmm. So I don't have anything to lose in terms of of dating or being with people. And my big relationship thing was I just always ended up with people who couldn't commit to me or didn't see Mm -hmm. themselves getting married or having kids, which were two really important things to me. And so by the, by like the third time I went through that, when I was dating, I was like, and people say, don't be too pushy, but it's like, do you see yourself getting married? Do you want to have kids in the future? I'm not saying, do you want to have them with me? But like, I can't, I don't want to go through this whole uh, oh, I'll wait till the fifth day or nope. I'll wait till this point. I don't want to scare them away. It's, you know, so I think boundaries and dating is really powerful. And I have a feeling it starts before you even start dating in a lot of time, in a lot of ways. Yes, it does. Because you can tell when you're interacting with someone, even if they're setting up or you're setting up the first date, are they asking you to meet them somewhere that's convenient to them? So you live in Brooklyn and they're like, let's meet in Queens. And if that's the case, you go, no, I'll meet in Manhattan or we can meet where I live, right? So like be aware of what someone is actually doing, not what they're saying, right? Because a lot of times they're going to say the quote unquote right things. But if someone says to you, I'll call you on Friday and they don't call you on Friday, but then they call you on Monday and they're like, what's up? How was your weekend? And they act like they never said they'd call you on Friday. If you collude with that false reality by saying nothing, you're literally saying, this works for me. Oh, you just want to say whatever you want to say, but not keep your word? Cool. If that doesn't work for you, if someone says they're going to call me on Friday and they don't call, I would definitely text them and be like, hey, are we talking or not? Because I got got other things to do. Or the next time they reach, I would say, oh, hey, when I didn't hear from you on Friday, I figured you just had a flaky moment. How was your weekend? But I would not let it slide. Yeah. Because sometimes people are, it's not intentional. They're not trying to get over on you. They are flaky. They're not like you. They're not as attuned as you are. A lot of times someone might just be clueless. Maybe they're an artist. Maybe they're something else. So the thing is, it's having the courage to know what works for you. If you don't like texting and you are dating someone who like wants to text all friggin' day long, you have to be like, Hey, I'd like to make a simple request. I don't love the texting thing, but can we talk once at night or every other, whatever, come up with what would be preferable to you? What is your preference? And share that. Because again, if we're not asserting ourselves, if we're not holding people to their word, if we're not keeping our word, hey, if you're someone who doesn't keep your word, you know, look at that and go, why? Are you ambivalent? Are you, do you, are you worried? Do you have attachment issues? Like, you know, there's lots of reasons why you might feel that way, but with the boundaries in the beginning, be super mindful. And exactly what you said, Kendra, don't waste your time. Like if you feel like someone's jerking you around, no, if they said they, they wanted kids, but then in a subsequent conversation, they're like kind of on the fence about that, even though their profile said they for sure wanted kids, you have to be like, gotta be honest and say that's a deal breaker for me. Yeah. And not be, it's in the not saying it, 
where we end up in these lives where we have all of this excess resentment and feeling frustrated and not feeling seen because we're literally not letting someone see us. I would have these women come into my therapy practice, maybe a sixth or seventh decade of life. And they're like, done it all. Basically, money in the bank, kids went to Ivy League schools. I'm on all these boards now. I'm doing Soul Cycle three times a week. I still like my spouse. We're traveling. Why do I feel so empty? I'm like, because nobody knows you. You built your whole life checking boxes that someone else constructed and, you know, taking one for the team and going along to get along and going with the flow and not making waves. And you get to, you know, seven decades of life and nobody knows who you are. And it's so painful because how can anyone authentically know us if we never let them, you know, love us if we never let them authentically know us, you know? Yeah. And I'm just thinking like, as someone who had to work in like really baby steps in the beginning, I find that you know, in the beginning when you're talking to someone and deciding whether to go on a date and they say, would you prefer Italian food or Indian food? And like, don't say, oh, whatever mm-hmm. you want or whatever works for you. It's like such a great practice to be like, I actually really like Indian food. Or maybe you don't like either of them. Say, I don't like either of those things. Can we do sushi instead? Yep. And I know that when you can set your boundaries and your preferences in a way that feels very like non-consequential, then you can practice for like the big stuff of like those like bigger ones feel a little bit easier. And I love that you use the word colluding with someone Mm -hmm. if you don't let it because it's so true. I mean, like if we think of like collusion, it's, you know, conspiring with someone for like a crime. And that's a like you kind of are an accessory to that own resentment that you're going to end up having towards that person. It's so true. And yet, I think that what what people don't understand when you get really good at setting boundaries and being truthful and respecting boundaries is that it becomes the most natural thing in the world. And that my clients, I would always love the moment when they'd be like, it was so weird, Tara, it just came out of my mouth. Like, no pre-thought. Because a lot of what I teach is a lot of proactive boundary setting so that we're not always playing catch up, so that we are being proactive in our businesses and in our relationships to let people know our preferences, desires, limits, and deal breakers so that everyone is on the same page. Because playing catch up is harder, right? When you're in a long-term relationship and you've been doing this boundary dance, especially with family of origin stuff, because when you think about boundaries are a dance, right? I do this, you do that. I do this, you do that. It's how we relate there. It's a relational dance. And think about your family of origin as like the original dance troupe. Like these are the mother effers you've been dancing with the longest. Yeah. And they're the ones that are going to be the most threatened to a degree if you start to change, which is why it's so impressive that your mom is doing what she's doing and that you're doing what you're doing. Because week, it's never too late Yeah. to change what isn't working in your life when it comes to boundaries. Yeah. But I do think I had to go through that first realizing I was uncomfortable not setting boundaries and then realizing how hard it is to go after the fact and be like, you know how I said this? I actually didn't mean this. I actually don't really want to go to this concert. That was way more uncomfortable than just being like, no, I don't want to go right when right when I knew I didn't want to go, you know, exactly way harder. So then I had to realize, okay. That's way harder than just setting them initially. But you can buy time though. You know, Kendra, like part of it is what I teach it like in in stages where you can buy time. Like we're just going to stop the auto yes altogether. So for seven days, there's no immediate agreeing to anything so that you start teaching people where you go, 
you know what? I actually need to check my calendar. I better let you know tomorrow. I need to check with my partner, my friend, my roommate, whatever the thing is. I'm not sure what that day looks like. We might already have plans. I'll keep you posted. What we're doing is we're prolonging. We're buying time because you're giving yourself permission to think. You're saying, I have the right to think. I believe I have the right to decide. I'm not sure how I feel about that. You can say, I used to have my clients say, I have a 24-hour decision-making policy. I'll let you know tomorrow. Like some people would say it tongue-in-cheek. Some people would, it would be a little bit like a little bit of a wink. But the point is, we stop the auto yes, which is exactly what you just said. It's so much easier to come back around and say no. Oh, I checked with Bob and we actually have other plans. I hope you guys have a great time. I checked with so-and-so and I can't do it. It's so much easier to say no when you haven't given an insta yes, right? You can come back and you're also teaching people. And it's the same thing like with your phone. Like if you're someone who instantly responds to people, you've taught them that and you can teach them something different. So there, there's the same thing with any kind of boundary that in the beginning, you're going to get a little pushback. People are going to be like, what do you mean? Where's my happy girl? Basically, yeah. <laughs> where's my yes girl? Yeah. You know what? She's, it's not all yes. It's all to my discretion. Yeah. There was something that I wrote down that I wanted to read that you posted on your Instagram that I thought was so pertinent is the energy in which you deliver your boundary requests mm-hmm. can impact how they're received. That was so powerful for me, not only in how they were received, but just how I felt about giving them. Like in the beginning, it was, well, no, I can't go to this because this and this and then this and this and this. And like, it would just be this long drawn out thing. And writing a dissertation. I would feel, yeah. I would feel very unconvincing because I didn't sound convincing at all right. in, in this. And so I had a mentor of mine work on like, she used the word casual, but being very like casual and how I delivered things like that. So can yep. you give some, some tips on, sure. on delivering boundaries? Yeah. Get prepared. You know, part of it is if it's a boundary request you're going to make or one, you know, you're going to set, you can be proactive and thinking about the person thinking about like, what would be the best time to have this conversation? If they're not a morning person, how about don't do it in the morning, right? Yeah. Maybe over a relaxing dinner, get your body language together, right? If you're setting a boundary and crossing your arms and all closed off or hunched over, people are going to notice that. So think about all the things that make up the energy that we bring. And I say, practice the boundary. Do it with a friend. Do it in the mirror. Get the words in your body. Because what happens is if we haven't done this a lot, it can be emotional. Even if you don't see it coming, you could just feel like you're going to start to cry, which you don't want to do, especially if it's a work thing. But say it a few times, get it into your body and visualize, feel the feelings of it going well. Meaning, I don't mean the other person agrees to what you say. Going well, meaning you have the courage to make the boundary request that your healing is in the asking. Your healing is in the asserting of yourself. It's really not, we're not always going to get what we want. People are not always going to agree. Someone's going to have their hurt feelings or they're going to be mad that you said it or whatever. And you're not that fragile. Like you're going to be okay. They cannot like it. You can still have a relationship with them and everyone is going to be okay. So I think that preparing the whole, what I meant when I wrote that Instagram post 
is that if you feel super constricted, if you're really scared to do it, if you feel like you have to justify the crap out of your no or your reason or you need a good enough reason, all of that vibe comes through in your facial expression, the energy you're using, the words you're using. So part of it is I love the idea of a pleasant, casual, neutral way of just delivering it, just like you would anything else, which is why I like the phrasing. And this is from Marshall Rosenberg from Nonviolent Communication. I'd like to make a simple request because we can use that. Any boundary request you have, it is simple. doesn't mean they're going to do it, but the reality is some people don't like that phrasing. I like it because it really brings in a casual vibe, acting as normal as possible, you know, meaning you're not agitated trying not to be agitated, having an expectation that if I respect my own boundaries, that the other there's a good possibility the other person will as well. And they can't if you don't assert the boundary. Yeah. As opposed to, I had a problem with always saying, can I ask a huge favor when it was like yeah. the tiniest, it was like the tiniest, not even a favor. It was just like the tiniest little request, but yeah. it was like, in some ways it made me feel better about asking it, but realizing that's not a huge favor. Just like, I don't need to say sorry for every, you know, it's like those little tweaks that we make, not necessarily for the other person, but for how it makes us feel. I want to say something about that though, because that's a great point. It's not genuine because you know, down deep, it's not a huge favor. It's a way of trying to buffer yourself from rejection because the other person is like, well, it's not a huge favor either. And yet it's so much more authentic to say, hey, I need help. Are you free to help me on Saturday? Do blah, blah, blah. To just straight up ask, yeah. you know? Anyway, back to what you were saying. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think what I want to end on is I think a, obviously a huge part of boundaries is when you set a boundary, you have to, I guess you would call enforce the boundary. And so mm -hmm. I would love if you could touch on that a little bit. And let's, you know, specifically for the example of, of breakups is let's say you set a boundary with your ex of, I can't hear from you. I need this for me. And let's say they do continue to talk to you or they do continue to text you or whatever that looks mm -hmm. like, how can we enforce those boundaries? Well, with a repeat boundary offender, there has to be consequences attached to the boundary violation mm -hmm. or who's changing, right? I mean, sadly, the way people change is from a little bit of pain. So you have to be willing to, we attach a consequence that's co sort of commensurate, like that makes sense with what the thing is. So in that situation, I would go back to the person and say, hey, I've asked you not to contact me. And if you contact me again, I'm going to need to block you in all the places. And if they had taken our advice to begin with, they would have already blocked them. Yeah. But So you can warn the person. And this is just like with any boundary, that letting people know that there will be a consequence. And some people will say, well, that's an ultimatum or that. And I'm like, listen, sometimes in life, if something is a deal breaker, like you saying you had to break up with someone because they didn't want kids, right? That's not an ultimatum. You're not like, you need to change your mind and want kids. Yeah. It's a deal breaker is this does not work for me. It's what am I going to do, right? Not how am I going to punish the person? What am I'm letting you know what I'm going to do if you continue to violate this boundary? I'm going to block you because I've asked you multiple times to not contact me and you still contact me and it's very painful to me. Yeah. 
And like you said, we're teaching people how to treat us. So if you, you know, say, I don't want to be contacted and they keep contacting you and you reply or you do nothing, you're just saying like, you can continue to get away with this basically. Yeah. Cause they do. It's the same thing that we say, like, you know, when you're teaching children, like do what I say, not what I do. And people, they know you're like, I'm not going to talk to you. And then they call and you talk to them. They're like, oh, she's definitely going to talk to me. Like yeah. your behavior gives away what you're willing to do and your self-abandoning mm -hmm. in that moment. So part of it is really thinking about your boundaries as a way to protect yourself, but it also protects the integrity of your relationships. It really does because you're more authentic and you're telling the truth about how you feel. And then the intimacy in your relationships is much deeper. Yeah. And you'll trust yourself and other, like you said, like it's important to be a friend that people trust. So when you say, yes, I would like to do that. They're not thinking, mm -hmm. does she really want to do that? Or is she going to be upset? Yeah. Or is she not going to have a good time? Like we don't want to operate like that. All the second guessing, you know, I wanted to tell you, there's something, if anyone listening is unsure of their own boundary style, because there's, there's different archetypes of how our boundaries can be disordered. It's not just being like a peacekeeper or a pushover or a chameleon. There's also the ice queen. There's the loner. Like there's different ways that disordered boundaries get expressed in our relationships. And I created a 13 question free quiz that people can go to. Just go to boundaryquiz.com. Easy. I'll put it in the show notes as well. Yeah, please do. Because I think that it's very helpful. And once you get your archetype, then I actually send you a video explaining, oh, so this is how you relate. And these are some steps you can take. Amazing. Well, now that we're on that subject, could you let people know how they can connect with you? Obviously, I hope everyone goes out and gets your book, Boundary Boss, which I assume is available anywhere books are sold. But if you could yeah. share your Instagram, your website. Sure. So Instagram is just at Terry Cole, T-E-R-R-I-C-O-L-E. -R -R -E. My website is terrycole.com, where you can find all the things I have merch coming out soon. So I'm going to have a bunch of Boundary Boss hoodies and crop tops and stuff. So that's fun. People have been asking for so long. It took us two years. We're, we're getting it together, though, people, if you want a hoodie. <laughs> I love that. I also have a podcast myself called The Terry Cole Show. This has been on for seven years. I've got a, I've got a, a Facebook group that's only people who identify as women called uh, Real Love Revolution with Terry Cole. So a million places. But I hang out probably most often is on Instagram. Amazing. Well, thank you so much for coming on, Terry. It's been a real treat to, to hear from you. And I'm excited for everyone to be able to listen to this. Thank you so much for having me, Kendra. I hope you enjoyed today's show. If you loved it, I hope you'll leave a review and share with your friends. If you're not already following me on Instagram, head to at your breakup bestie where I'm sharing new content almost every day. To join our Facebook group, Healing Hearts Club, where you can connect with thousands of people from all over the world going through breakups, head to the link in the show notes. And don't forget to check out my online courses for more in-depth help through your healing journey. I always end these episodes the same way, reminding you to be nice to yourself, stay connected with loved ones, and the biggest reminder is that this too shall pass. I promise. 